Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. It's all connected. Everything. So, gentlemen, I think the last time I saw a te- television show set in a uh, hotel for women, it starred Tom Hanks and Donna Dixon. <laughs> Outstanding. Now, how many people are, of our audience are actually going to get that joke? I don't know, but the ones that do will laugh a lot. Excellent. Sunny, 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 sunny. Brad is here. Hi, Brad. Hi, guys. How you doing? Um, Better than you. Welcome back. It's been a long time since we've seen you. Yeah, I'm a little... Under the weather, I stayed home from work today. It's funny, I took a a floating holiday yesterday for the purpose of staying home and doing something that needs to be done desperately, but somewhere in the middle of the night, I got very sick. So In the middle of the night. Yeah, and there's another Billy Joel reference, full circle. I yeah, haven't done what I stayed home to do. All I've done is sleep and watch bonus discs on my Star Wars Blu-ray set. Cool, nice. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. Um before we continue, of course, that is the dulcet tones of Mr. Brad Milo. I am Ken Morgan, and I'm joined also by Russell Lathan for this episode of It's All Connected. Welcome back, everyone. Yeah. The break is over. Good to be here. The there, break there, is over. It there, was will a, what, no, there will be no rest for the weary. Wasn't that a Survivor break. song? Wh- which one? The break is over. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just know the Rocky one. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think we get one week off between now and probably the end of May. Depending. We've got six more weeks of Agent Carter. Of course, this episode is uh, going to be discussing the first two episodes, technically, of Agent Carter. Um, the two-hour premiere was this week. And so we have six more weeks of Agent Carter with, I think, a week break. And then we're right back to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So the groundhog must have seen his shadow. If the uh, groundhog sees his shadow, there's six weeks, more weeks of uh, Agent Carter, correct? Yeah. And this is It's All Connected, episode 43. Indeed it is. So, uh, but going back to to No Rest for the Weary, so we have Agent Carter follow with a, a one-week break to then go back into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And bef- Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. won't be on for, what, six weeks before we have a hu- another huge thing to drop. Yeah, the big news big, came out today. Yeah, well, we were going to do that at the end. Let's do it now, then. Yeah, we'll just, yeah, so... April April 10th, 10th, yes. Yeah. We will get Netflix's Daredevil uh, premiering on on Netflix Friday, April 10th at at midnight uh, Pacific time. And and that's um, in true Netflix fashion. We will get all 13 episodes at once to binge watch or take our time with as we see fit. I was going to ask if they gave that information in the article. Apparently they did. They did? Yes. Yes. I'm looking at my calendar right now. What, what April ten? Yes, correct. That is a Friday night. Yep. It is. And uh, just so happens my days off are Thursday and Friday, so I know what I'm doing 
Oh shoot! No, I'm going out of All town. Day Friday. That, I'm doing. I'm going out of town that weekend. That gummit. <laughs> oh. I will have to wait and avoid uh, Facebook all weekend. That sucks. <laughs> wow. That really that, sucks. That's um. Oh wow. Hmm. The um, Shield Agent Shield is back on what March third or tenth? March third, I think. Right. I believe so. Yes. So yeah. So one, two, three, four, five. There will be six episodes of Agents of Shield in the can- uh, released. Ren, uh, Seven. Good guess on my part. One, two, three, four, six. five, six. That's what I said. Yeah, six episodes, uh, and then um, and then Daredevil, and I'm looking at my calendar, and I'm going away just for the day on the 11th, and my kids have a half day on the 10th, which means I'm going to have to really bust my butt to watch every episode of that before they disturb me. Well, you know what? <laughs> I I could get up at midnight. I could just not go to sleep pull an all-nighter. Yeah, because I think it's Friday. It's it's, it's it's at midnight, 12.01 they release these things, right? Right, right. Pacific time, so it'll be 3 o'clock oh, Eastern a.m. on Friday. It's 2 in the morning where we live, Rose. Two, yeah, two in, the mo- 2 in the morning for us on Friday. Are they 42 minutes long? What is, what's the runtime? They said, they said an hour, and I know uh, usually those hour-long shows are about 45 to 50 minutes. I'm, I'm wondering... You know, like you said, 42 minutes, Brad. I wonder if they're going to keep it at the 42-minute mark uh, so that ev- eventually it could either be syndicated on television or or what. But uh, I do like the, the Netflix format for those hour-long shows because even, uh, you know, some of the ones that, you know, there, there are several of those shows that are going to be difficult to go on television. Most of them are like the 50 to 52-minute range, but it's nice that it's not a hard you know, 42 minutes every episode, you know, they, they fluctuate a little bit. So if they need to add, you know, get a little bit more in there, you know, we can get an extra minute or two without, yeah. a, you know, w- without having a, the hard network break. So I like that flexibility. That's what's great about Netflix. And of course, without uh, there being a commercial break, uh, you know, again, the storytelling is a lot different when you don't have to, you know, plan in your, your commercial breaks from a storytelling perspective. I hope sometime in April or May we can get some information on Netflix's uh, subscriber base, their numbers, and see how much it's gone up or stayed the same. Right. Yeah, I mean they do usually on their quarterly calls uh, for in, for invest, you know, their quarterly investor calls. They divulge that. So yeah, I'd be curious, like you, Brad, to see if they've if they get an uptick uh, around the time that uh, that the show's released. That'll be that'll be interesting to find out, which makes me think maybe we might like August, September, maybe October at the latest. We probably get Jessica Jones. That's just a wild guess at this at this point. But uh, we do know it's going to be 2015 uh, and and they'll want to space that out. So there's. um, Yeah, they start at 2 a.m. our time. I'm putting it in my Google calendar right now. <laughs> nice. Excellent. So I'll know. Not, we're not. I, I might I don't be able think to watch an episode before I have to take off on Friday. So that'll be. I'd love to see at least one before I leave for the weekend. Yeah. And we don't. I don't think we have a plan worked out as of yet as to how we're going to cover that when it comes out. Because we'll still be in the middle of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm sure at minimum we'll cover the pilot episode pretty quickly after it, it launches. Uh, just to be current with that, and then the other twelve episodes, uh, we may just double up with Agents of Shield. We may wait until after Agents of Shield uh, is is finished its season, and then and then just weekly give Daredevil its due, 
so to speak. Uh, so to speak, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we haven't figured that quite figured that out yet, but uh, we will have a plan put together. Excellent. When does uh, when does Shield come back? March third. March third. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be starting in March. Well, heck, starting now with agents of, I mean, with uh, Agent Carter Agent and Co- then right. Shield and then Daredevil and then more Shield and then May is what Avengers. Avengers, mm. yeah, and, and Avengers will be out, and there'll be only like three, I think. Agents of Shield still left to air after Avengers comes out. Um. No, the Ant Man trailer, of course, came out with Agent Carter, and uh, I was. Th- we'll talk about that at the at the end. Yeah. Okay. So enough of that. Let's uh, get into the episode proper. I was surprised to see them pulling right out of the Captain America movie right off the bat. You know, I said the same thing. Yeah, I was yeah. actually surprised that they were going that that direct. But maybe I'm thinking for the either casual viewer or someone who didn't really know what it was, they probably really had to do that to really put home that who she is and remind everybody of, you know, where she is. Cause outside of those two movies and the 15 minutes she's been on agents of shield and those flashbacks, you know, uh, your average, you may not know who she is. I think it was a good call to make to do that, but I, yeah. I just, it never once crossed my mind that they may actually do that. But, uh, right. I think, like you said, it's gonna, it's gonna make, you know, other people go, oh yeah, she, yeah, she was in that cat movie. So, I remember her. So, what, do we want to just do like maybe overall impressions of what we thought, and then and then get into the specifics? I, I've got a bunch of notes, so we can cover, you know, the high points of of the show. Yeah, I don't have I don't have a lot to say on the on the show, like from a storyline point of view. I mean, I can just really discuss much of it but nothing of it my, my thing is on the whole concept it was uh, well I'll let you guys go first you know I really missed seeing Bradley Whitford again yeah thank you he was in that short that she yeah. was in now did that short take place before or after the show well now we're getting into my my issues with it and this yeah. is where my my Cause wasn't affinity for continuity is getting in my way of enjoying the show. What's the name of the short? Agent Carter. Okay. Now it was just called Agent Carter. Was she working for the SSR at that point? Yes. Yes. Okay. This this episode to me felt like not the episode, possibly this whole eight parts, seven week, whatever we're calling it, series, is a long form version of that one shot. Or maybe um, it takes place before the one shot. Well, I would think. Well, I would think they flash because at the end of the of one shot, in the flashback. Go ahead. Were a, a couple scenes in the flashback were the the one shot. No. Yeah, when she spin kicks that guy th- and kicks him through the glass. Yeah, I think. And he oh, and, and he flies right. through. That was that was part of the 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 one shot. Maybe. Well, my problem is like. The, my challenge, not my problem, my, my challenge with enjoying it was that one shot ended. We have a lot of continuity already clearly established between the between the, the movie, specifically Winter Soldier, and, of course, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That uh, Peggy Carter, Howard Stark, and Colonel Phillips took the SSR and reformed it into S.H.I.E.L.D. Didn't that happen at the end of that short? Exactly. Okay. At the end of that short, Howard Stark specifically called her and said, 
I want you to be the director of Shield. Right. And and, and when you ever leading up to the show, whenever you would read what the premise of the show was, it was practically word for word the same thing as the premise of the one shot. Uh, trying to find her place in a post-war world where no one wants her. You know, the men are coming back from war, taking the jobs back from the women who, you know, cause you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we saw a lot of what we saw in the one shot with how she's being treated as a secretary, not an agent, we saw in this. And going through my mind is we've done that. We've done this already. I want to see S.H.I.E.L.D. I want to see the, the creation of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, the only place you've seen that would have been the short, and not everybody's going to see that. Well, no, I, I, but I want to see the process of turning it from SSR into Shield. Like I wanted, I really wanted them to pick up where the sh- the short ended. Well, you know, the short and, and and go from there. That's kind of what I was really hoping for. I had a feeling uh, that maybe they were just going to try to fit, you know, this into the middle of that short somewhere if they had to find a timeline. Well, now my hunch is if if we're if we are keeping the the one shots in general as part of the bigger you know MCU continuity, and we want to keep the fact that Howard Stark and Peggy Carter uh, were the founders of Shield, and now Howard's been framed and Shield uh, SSR is hunting him. My hunch is at the end of these seven weeks, Howard's name will be cleared, and we will basically end. With the creation of Shield, we'll end at the same point where the where that one shot ended. So really, we're just expand we're blowing up that that one shot and making it longer. And we'll we'll get, we'll get to where the one shot ended. But at the end of the day, at the end of this of this series, we won't be any further along in the creation of Shield than we were at the end of that one shot. I don't see how it can go any other way unless it happens in the middle of the show. Um, because again, it ended with Howard being the one saying, "I want you to run Shield." And he's he's on the outs right now with SSR, so he can't be in that position right now as we as we know it. Yeah, and I guess I I guess the more I think about it, I guess I'm okay with that. I mean, obviously this show has to have taken place before that one shot, because like you said, it ends with her becoming director, so they can't take a step back. So it could be they just added that clip in there, and it was really quick, and that was the only clip that I recall seeing, and I watched it twice. Yeah. of the the one shot and it could be i mean a spin kick a guy through a window is fairly innocuous so uh you know it's not too big of yeah. a deal but and i'm okay with not seeing the actual formation of shield and then directly after i mean we get enough shield i think on agents of shield i i like more of this whole uh you know the secret spy i i just i like yeah. that aspect of it i and oh. i think I think for eight hours, I think that's good enough. I think I don't know that a 22 episode season, multiple seasons long of her being the, you know, the dumb office girl that everybody treats like crap and have her constantly undermine them on these secret missions. I don't think that's very compelling. And I think that would get old really quick. But in small doses, I I think it can I I think it can work. And based on what I what I saw last night, I I think I think it's working fine. Well, especially in light of what we've already seen, though, we we saw in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. her, in short order after the death of the Red Skull, working with the Helen Commandos and taking down uh, Whitehall and taking possession of the 084. And 
we also saw her interrogating him pretty heavily in an SSR facility. Right. Not a S.H.I.E.L.D. facility, an SSR facility. Now, in this show, we're getting a complete opposite view. Now, granted, that was early on in the events immediately after uh, the first Avenger. So all this realigning hasn't happened yet. What's really, The biggest thing that's bugging me about what they're doing here is where's Colonel Phillips? Not that I think we're going to see Tommy Lee Jones in this, but she was, for all intents and purposes, the number two person at the SSR. Colonel Phillips, her. She was there at the genesis of Steve Rogers. She was there at the side of Phillips and Stark and Steve Rogers. Now, just because Steve Rogers is gone, she's no longer useful, and Phillips, he's, he's not going to keep her around or is he himself gone doing something else and will come back later yeah yeah that's that's the issue i he's have. not gonna abandon her right and that's the issue i have too ken is is the fact that she was so integral during the war and now she's marginalized and maybe they're trying to hit that home with the fact that right off the bat her roommate gets laid off because the men are coming home and it's just like it was okay when there was a shortage of men to be in yeah. that role, but, but now she's that... not just she's not just another woman on the assembly line with a ribbon. Sure, gun. no, I she understand. She was number two at SSR, or at least very high up and very well connected. And now she's just been pushed down to you know another agent who they mistreat. Doesn't it? It doesn't make sense for me, especially when we see in the Winter Soldier at an old shield base. Right on the wall is she's right up in the wall with Stark and Phillips. Right. And now the one thing I'll—I mean, this is April of '46, so conceivably you would think that Phillips, being military, I mean, he—you he, know—he's an actual army colonel. After VE Day, conceivably he would have gone to the Pacific. Um, true. So true. the war in the Pacific didn't end until August of '45. We had post-occupation Japan, so this is April of '46. It wouldn't be too much to think that Phillips is still an active member of the U.S. Army and not stateside. And, that... and, that's, the, and that's the other thing that's throwing me off is that so the SSR is now no longer a research division of the military or otherwise. It's now a civilian law enforcement agency? Well, yeah, I mean, that that's also that's kind of th- I mean, well, it, it, and the OSS, you know, f- formed into the CIA, and I'm sure that didn't happen immediately yeah, overnight. Yeah, I guess, okay. So kind of the same thing, and I guess in this world where there are super weapons and you know weird things going on, I could see that a that a purely military outfit could kind of morph into this, um, you know, you know, or you know, homeland security early, you know, quasi FBI CIA type of organization. I mean, it's filled with a bunch of ex military. I mean, they set that right up, yes. uh, off the bat too. So. Uh, you know, this isn't just a bunch of of guys who recruited. And even in the uh, uh, even in Captain America: The First Avenger, you know, some of the folks that were stationed in the uh, in the facility in New York were, you know, kind of playing, you know, the the suit and tie and hat, plain clothes look. You know that that they weren't military garb. They they looked like they were agents like in the show so yeah yeah and I that was they're all they were also coming and going out of an antique shop for cover too so. right right um so that wasn't that wasn't a huge huge stretch for me but yeah okay. the, there were little things like that I, i'm i i kind of fall in your camp too where it's just like the marginalization of peggy carter 
I guess kind of like you bugs me a little bit, but I think it's just one of those things where you just kind of got to get over it. Like, yeah, the the story. No, I mean, that- and you make sense with with if, if, I mean, my thing with where's Phillips, and if he's truly like reassigned to the military thing and not part of SSR at this point in time, and will of course come back later, you know, maybe once Howard's name is cleared or whatever. Uh, would make sense to me. Well, did, yep. All right, I can if, live with that. If this was 1947 or you know mid 47, 48, then I would be like, yeah, that doesn't make sense because by that time, you, you know, post war activities have had wound down enough that if he was truly around for the formation of Shield, then he would he would be a little more active, or at least they would have referenced him a lot more frequently. Didn't they address him, or maybe it's just my memory, like? Where his whereabouts and why she was back, you know, playing nursemaid in that short. Didn't they give some kind of explanation? Because I always, I always felt like going into this show that I had, I had known that that's that was exactly where Peggy Carter was at this point. She had been, you know, relegated to nothingness, and it, maybe it was my memory wanting to fill in the gap. But I had always thought that that short, which I've only seen once. Uh, Same here. Yeah. Only explained it well enough that I just went with it. That you know, I didn't find it odd while watching the short that she was in the position that she was in, because once it all fell up apart, Super Soldier Serum. I could have sworn they they mentioned something about Phillips going somewhere else. And yeah, I don't remember that from the one shot. I know. Also, I also didn't give this as, as much thought then for a fifteen minute you know one shot. Right. Um, I- yeah, I think before next week I might try and rewatch that short just to reacquaint myself. Which uh, disc I, is I it on? Uh, Iron, Iron Man, Man three. Yeah. I I guess my my thing is I I've been waiting for more of the I've been waiting for what happened after the one shot. Yeah, not not for more of the one shot. And See, maybe and I, yeah, and I, and I still I have, I have six more weeks to to get to get to to get to that. So yeah. The the one thing I guess that that kind of sticks in my in the back of my head too, Ken, is that this was written by Marcus and McFeely, who wrote Captain America: the the First Avenger, the Winter Soldier. They wrote the One Shot. They've yeah. been heavily involved in all this stuff. So for it not to be tighter, that's what kind of sticks at me a little bit too. Is you think since these are the guy, you know, it's not like they brought somebody in cold to write. Well, you know what, this. and then maybe that's more evidence to what. I suggested that this is going to lead into that one shot. They're going to get Howard cleared to the point, and, and this may be the plan all along. Because don't forget the the in the in the episode, uh, Jarvis was in the car talking to to Stark and saying, "Yes, I think she's a very good choice." Very likely talking about, "Yeah, she's she's the one. She's going to be the director of Shield once we get to that point." Yeah, it'd be funny if if the whole show ends with that fifteen minute short. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's the end of the, of the eighth hour. You know, it sounds like. This whole discussion here is based on our admittedly foggy uh, memories of the short that two of us have only seen once. What I'm getting at is this. You know, we uh, Russell said, well, I think that one shot of her, you know, given the roundhouse kick was d- pulled directly from the short. And I I agreed, but sometimes our memories play tricks on us and, and they make us think that we remember something we didn't. Case in point, Russell, when... Uh, Back in the day when we were first doing the Walking Dead TV podcast, we were talking about the pilot, actually. There was that scene where Rick wakes up in the hospital and he sees the door at the end of the hallway with the words, uh, don't open dead inside, scribbled on it. 
And uh, most of us, if not all of us, were saying, yeah, that was a, that was pulled directly from the comic, you know. But when you go back and look at the comic, those words aren't on the door. Right. So, so sure. our mind has ways of tricking us and, and filling in the gaps that, that don't make sense um, subconsciously. So, or, or, or maybe we want it to make sense a certain way and our minds will do that. So maybe, in fact those shots that you and I think we remember just looked similar and they weren't exactly the same. You know, maybe yeah, it's that, that, that simple. Could... And if we all went back and watched the short again, this whole conversation may be moot, you know, like yeah, but, uh, as far I as the go timeline ahead. goes. Yeah. I think for next week's episode, I'm going to rewatch the short and just, just so when we talk about the third episode of agent Carter, um, we can, we can kind of rehash this a little bit. You know, I wanted to do an episode where we did nothing but all, all the shorts. Boom, 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 boom. No one else wanted to do it. If done <laughs> that, we would have been fine. No, seriously, I, I, I agree. I'm going to try to watch it as well. But now, that said, uh, we got Commandos next week, so I'm good. Yeah, a couple other things just on the on the behind-the-scenes aspects of it. So we, we talked about Marcus and McFeely doing the writing. Um, Louis D'Esposito directed the first episode and, and is a producer on the whole series. He was producer. He's basically been, been an executive producer, producer, um, on every Marvel, uh, studios movie since Iron Man. So he's, uh, been heavily involved. He directed the agent Carter short. He directed this episode. Uh, the second episode was directed by, uh, Joe Russo, who him and his brother nice. both directed uh, Captain America, the winter soldier. So, the one thing I like about this is they're keeping the people that know these characters the best involved in this show, um, even more so than Agents of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. Not that that really has any direct, um, other than Coulson, you know, has too much direct link to the uh, to the movies. This, you know, this show is definitely more connected to, to Captain America's universe than any of the others. Russ, uh, so I, Russ, I, I Russ. I appreciate that. It's, it's all connected, bro. <laughs> that is true. That All is right. True. Um, so I, Russ, you want to take us through the episode then? Yeah. So after we get the flashbacks, uh, that kind of starts things out, and we see that Peggy obviously is still uh, affected by Caps by by Steve's death, what she perceives as Steve's death, um, and she's trying to to kind of make her way in this world, uh, you know, that's very different than what she's used to. Uh, we find out she's sharing a flat with um, with a roommate, um, and I, I thought it was really cool that she comes in. Uh, she's going to work. The friend is coming off her shift, uh, and they she she has that outfit on with you know white blouse, blue uh, coat, and then that red hat, what and hat? Uh, that was awesome when she was walking down the street going to to work. Where in the world is Agent Carter? It, yeah, yeah, very Carmen San Diego for sure. But just the way it was shot where, you know, we see these shots all the time, like, you know, especially in New York, where it's kind of eye level with a crowd and it's just, you know, wall to wall people. Um, and it was interesting because it was just a bunch of guys in gray suits. And here kind of walking against the grain is this drop dead gorgeous woman in this, you know, blue and red get up uh, walking down the street. And I just I, I don't know, just it was so striking just the way it was shot, the way it looked. Uh, and everything else, I, I just it just really stood out. Um, and again, I think it's to kind of emphasize the fact that she's the lone woman in the world of men. You know, not only uh, in her work life, but in her you know private life as well. I, li I really like the fact that she was decked out in red, white, and blue because that just 
Yeah. yeah. You know, that yeah. made me think of Captain America and her love for him or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So, of course, she shows up for work and, you know, right away we kind of get what her what her place is. Although she she's very assertive. I mean, she you know, something big is going on. Uh, you know, obviously, the SSR is in a secret facility inside the phone company. Very, you know, almost men in black kind of, you know, where, you know, it was the water treatment facility or whatever. But there's actually, you know, ladies manning the switchboard, ladies ladying the switchboard, I guess. Uh and then, you know, it's very spy, you know, secret entrance kind of thing going on. Uh, but when the call comes in and everybody's kind of doing their thing, uh, you know, she's she wants to be right there in the in the thick of it. And, and we find out right off the bat that uh, uh, Howard Stark is being conceivably set up, framed for selling weapons to the enemy. Um, and they're pretty vague about what. You know, what kind of weapons, who he's selling it to. We get a lot of really cool newsreel type footage, you know, the, the black and white uh, footage of uh, Howard testifying before Congress, very reminiscent of, uh, of, his, yeah, of his, what his yeah, son will I was do. That, yeah. I was just uh, going to bring that up, too. It, it was really well done. I, I thought all of the, both the radio play stuff, while it was corny, but meant to be intentionally corny any of the newsreel or, or or movie footage stuff that we saw any pictures that that were taken uh they look really authentic i mean they did a really good job of making it look like it would have looked in that period you know where the the film the film stock is you know grainy and and black and white and it, it just really looked like it was ripped out of that that time frame um which is a pretty big contrast to the actual episode if there's one complaint i have with the way that it was shot is it takes place in the forties, but everything it was really pristine. I almost wish they would have maybe put like a layer of, of, uh, of grain on top of, of the, of the, you know, filtered some grain on there or maybe muted oh, okay, the color yeah. palette a little bit. Um, so they were watching, actually watching an older film and not, yeah, not yeah. not a ton, you know, not not distractingly so, but or maybe muted the color palette just a little bit, but it, it was so vibrant and so crisp and clear, and you know, obviously shot digitally, you know, because everything looks pristine. Um, it 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 took me out just a little bit. It all, it, which is silly because if you were, you know, if they you were standing in, there, that's what it would look like. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But it's just you want to look at it, you want to look at it like you were looking at it through uh, re- something recorded at the time. Right, right. Your brain, I think, just has a certain image of what a show set in that time period or taking place in that time period should look like, and it's just it's it's jarring from a mental. It's it's a mental thing, uh, you know, for sure. But anyway, but all that all that stuff was was really done well done. And, you know, we find out, obviously, that she doesn't believe that Howard could possibly have done anything like that. Nobody else is really on board. We're kind of introduced to the cast of characters that she's going to be uh, that she's going to be involved with. Uh, none of which none of whom are near as interesting as Bradley Whitford was. I agree. I mean, Shay Wiggum, who plays uh, Chief Dooley. Uh, I don't know if you guys have watched Boardwalk Empire. He was the the sheriff and the main character's brother on Boardwalk Empire. Um, no, but but he's like the he's basically the Bradley Whitford character on this sh- on this show. But I agree, I I much prefer Bradley Whitford just in general over over this Dooley character. Um, we get a we get a uh, 
a Whedon alum, Ember Gojak, is playing Daniel Sousa, who is a wounded war veteran that works for the SSR. And then, of course, we get uh, Chad Michael Murray, kind of the pretty boy. Jack Thompson is kind of the lead agent guy. Is that the, the tall blonde man. guy? Yeah. Where yeah. have I seen him? Uh, he was like, he's a CW guy, like One Tree Hill and okay. uh, stuff like that. I thought he was too handsome to be in this show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you put him up against the other Yahoos that those, that they got, you know, the meathead. Um, Krasminski, yeah. Yeah. Hey, take this big ball of junk apart. Right. So it's kind of like you almost got like the like stereotypical set of characters. You know, you mm-hmm. get the the pretty boy lead, you get the joker, you get the straight Michael man. Head, yeah. You know, it's like you're they're all represented. But and, and two, it kind of fits, you know, TV shows and stuff of that time period were um you know, worked that way as well. But it, but the, I like the funny exchange that uh, she had with with Thompson where he he has work to do and says oh she should uh you know do the work that that he doesn't that he can't do at, like filing and the, and the way she delivered that that line where she's like oh you mean like the alphabet do you want me to teach it to you you know let's yeah. start with the letter a it was so sarcastic and so she, she was almost like so british yes but very like pissy about it you know and and just it was i don't know i just thought she delivered that that line really really if, well. if it was if it was in the comics the the word balloons would have the little icicles hanging off of it yes that's, oh yeah that that's exactly right that's her real accent too right yes she is she yes. is british if i didn't yes. if i didn't know any better i would have sworn that her spot-on american accent was her real voice and that british accent she has was was fake i think <laughs> i think British actors and actresses, actresses in specific, uh, for me, they can nail that American accent like you would not believe. And when they speak with their normal accent, they sound like they're faking it. That's the way <laughs> most of the time, uh, they're so good at that American accent. Right. You know, when she was dressed up in the blonde as the blonde? Yep. Uh, sure. I mean, yeah. and the, the milk truck inspector later on. Perfect. That was my favorite. Perfect, my perfect, perfect American accents. Yeah. I started uh, questioning my own memory. It's like, wait a minute. I thought she was English. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> you think English people hate it when the, when they hear American people doing oh, that? I'm absolutely sure they yeah, do. Yeah, baby. Probably. You yeah, think Dave, Dave Williams from the UK? He's he's screaming at you right freaking now. freaking hate it? If he was yeah. listening to us. Go blimey. <laughs> I freaking love Austin Powers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As you were, gentlemen. Yes. I think it's the medicine making me a little loopy too. So sorry. Uh, could be. Early on, we're we're introduced to Angie Martinelli, who's the waitress at the diner that uh, that Peggy goes to. Some of you may have may recognize her from. Some of you may recognize her from such uh, TV shows as Nikita. Uh, where she played Alex on the on the show Nikita, and she was uh, one of the children on How I Met Your Mother. Met your mother, yeah, yeah. All grown up, all grown yep. up. Yeah, they, uh, yeah. I saw that. Apparently, they sh- they shot all those kids scenes. They just used all the footage from two thousand five, two thousand six, and just kept reusing the, that footage so the kids never aged. So yeah. they were always telling the same story. Yeah. Um, she was in. She was in Kickass, wasn't she too? Yes, yes. She was the the gir- the girl. She was. Katie oh, Domo. she was. She, was she like she was hit girl or no? No, 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 no. no. She no. was the 
the girl that he had a crush on and oh uh, okay played out differently in the comic than the movie but but yeah, yes right. she was yeah, she was in that um so right away we're kind of uh, introduced to her and the and the two of them have a relationship I am under the impression and there's nothing overt in the show that made me believe that uh, but I think there's more to her story than than is leading on. I don't think she's just some waitress in a diner that just happens to buddy up with Peggy. Yeah, I don't know. The I, I looked up because I want to see who the actress was, and they talked about the characters. Like you know, like the, the one line bio of the character was she was uh, I forget the phrasing. If it was lifeline for pe- for Peggy, or whatever. But basically, it sounded like they were leaning her to be like that that. You know that, that that grounding character, keep her in the in the in the real world, and that connection to the real world, and not just all spy spy stuff all the time. Yeah, I just uh, it, there are a couple little subtle things, like when she's like, "Oh, the guys at the at the at the phone company giving you a rough time," like you know, just kind of like wink, wink, um, and the fact that she's so insistent that Peggy move in to her yeah. to her complex, it just seemed a little too uh, convenient. And it, yeah. may, it could be nothing, but uh, well, that that whole thing, like when we get, it's at the end of the episodes, the show, obviously, but um, that that whole women's hotel thing, I'm concerned about how that's going to play out. I'm sure they have a purpose for it. Yeah, that was weird. They, well, the way the way she, they made a point of her, the way the uh, uh, manager, I guess, whatever she is, she uh, the madam refused to. Cur- I, you know what? I didn't want to <laughs> say it. I didn't want to say it. it. Uh, the I think it's Curf- a cover. Curfews, curfews at ten. I think it's a cover. I don't think it's a. I don't think they're no, going that route. I don't think it's that. You don't but, think so? But cur- curfews no. at curfews at ten. It's like, well, she's going to be doing a lot of late night spy gigs. So, you know, is every week going to be a a chat contest to see how is she going to outwit the uh, the madam? How outwit the you know the security lady trying to sneak in past curfew? That just seems boring to me, and I, I'm going to have to have trust that they know better than that. Well, on the other hand, there's another character that we haven't talked on yet, talked about yet, who is going to face those same challenges in a different way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And the one thing, this person thing, is my absolute favorite character on the show already. Yeah. The the one thing I'll say about the whole ladies' hotel or the ladies' apartment complex just is say brothel. Just say bro. <laughs> <laughs> no. We only have six episodes left, so they can't really drag it out too much. Like, yes, it could be one of those plot points, but again, because it's a tight, short series, I think it'll it'll go on just long enough to where it starts to get old, and then we'll be past it. Uh, so again, I think, I think it's one of those things, like I mentioned earlier, in a 22-episode season, multiple seasons long, that would get old very quick. As long as uh, Peter Scolari doesn't walk by, that then I'd be I'd be okay with that. Wouldn't that be awesome? I would if, love to hear if, somebody if they... talking about Buffy and Hildy. <laughs> yes, have you guys been up be to Buffy awesome. and Hildy's place? It's really strange. It's there's something off about that apartment. I can't quite place it, but you know, an ABC ran that show originally, so maybe they have some kind of rights thing. That would be hilarious. <laughs> or you know what I'd love to hear is an old like '40s ragtime version of uh, my, life. my life. My life. That would be yeah. sweet. <laughs> oh. That would be. We just should write this. Awesome. We should write this. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, next, but, we're so Brad. Yeah, you kind of you kind of alluded to it, but we get introduced yeah. to Edwin Jarvis next. Yeah, he's awesome. I, re- I really like him, and you can tell he's already got a he's got a taste of the good life, and he wants more. You know, so, yeah, a little something a little more exciting than than his normal. And he probably loves his wife very very much, but uh, you know, you you drink coffee for so long and you get used to it, and then you you try a different brand or you maybe put a little sugar in it, and you're like, hmm, this is interesting. I think I'm gonna try it like this again. You know. See, I, I thought he was playing her from the start. I thought he was, you know, very much not a stranger to the spy game or to to that sort of thing because of what Howard does. I was actually beginning to think that the whole wife thing was just a cover and part of her part of yeah. his messing with her until we until until the wife came in, we heard her voice. Yeah, but what? Yeah. A, how does that explain the end? You know, what he's is he talking to Stark at the very end? Yes, on, on the phone. Or yeah, maybe? oh yeah, he's talking yeah, yeah. to Stark. So yeah. that that kind of made me go, well, maybe he's not what I think he is. And I know that's yeah. the whole point of twists right. and turns, but still yeah. like so. It. So I was questioning the wife, but then she's like actually showed up off camera. But we heard, but we heard her at least. Um, but then with the the thing with it's like yeah, Norm's wife. Phone. You think we'll never we'll never yeah, see her? Yeah. yeah, it's funny. One of the tweets that I was live tweeting the show uh, as it was on, obviously since I live tweeted. Um, but one of, somebody tweeted back. I forget who it was. That Albert uh, Stash, I think. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't the stash. But he was he was live tweeting too, though. Yes, he was. Yes, uh, <laughs> that if if Jarvis's wife is named Maris, I'll just like lose you know lose my mind. Or something <laughs> like that. Uh, so I was thinking Vera. I was I was using I was thinking along your lines, Brad. That uh, this is more like a Vera. I, I was thinking see, Norm from Cheers. Did you see did you see a, the Simpsons episode um, where uh, Sideshow Bob was uh, doing something in like. Bart just jumps up behind him and puts his hands over his eyes and says, guess who? And he just stops, Maris? <laughs> no. Uh, was it just me or did Jarvis sound a little bit like Paul what's Bittany? His name? Paul Bittany. Just, just a little bit or was it my brain wanting him to sound like it? I, Because uh, that would have, I, 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 grandfather or father? No, probably father. father. It, yeah. Well, 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 Jarvis... Jarvis from Iron Man and the Avengers and is is a construct, right? Yeah. So, but but it's probably yeah, named true. in homage to Edwin Jarvis. So, you're right. I'm um, thinking this. I'm thinking this normal is, person, but yeah, this is probably very much the Edwin Jarvis of the comics. As we finally get to meet him, but in, in, in this in the MCU, he was Howard's Butler, right? Which I believe he probably was in the comics too, and he just stayed with Tony. I like him. I think he's going to be a good character. I agree. Yeah. That whole scene in the beginning, or with uh, where Stark shows up and Jarvis is there, it was a little bit. It was almost eye rolly because it was the typical mistaken identity, you know, assuming the worst kind of thing, and then it and it turns out it's just Howard rolling up, uh, chasing her down the alley with his car. Oh, you mean the guy going, "You're coming with me." Yeah. Now, yeah. Now the whole thing went with the scene when Howard was there, like that one major scene where he was there on the boat. Really, any of it. I got the feeling that, yes, it was always Dominic, Dominic Cooper was reprising the role of Howard Stark, but it was almost like he was trying to remember how he played Howard Stark, and he actually was overplaying him a little bit. Yeah, like giving it a little too much of that little of that of that that Howard Stark. I think you can attribute some of that to the fact that he was directed by one person in that movie, and he's directed by somebody else in this movie. I mean. You know, you... No, no. In that he was in the first episode, which was directed by 
Desposito who directed no. uh, First Avenger, right? No, we're no, talking no, no, about no, no, Howard no. Stark. No, Joe Johnston directed First oh. Avenger. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah, so he was, you know, he was directed by one person there, and then in the in the TV show, it's somebody else. Yeah, maybe that would, but then that would make you think Coulson would be like a tiny little bit different for every well, movie he's been on. There are some actors who understand their character, and they yeah. they live that character, and I I believe you know Clark Gregg yeah. is one of those. Whereas, I agree. you know, he's done it enough over and over again that he's he finally got it. But you know, Stark was Howard Stark was in the one movie. Oh yeah, I'm not criticizing it more than that. I'm just saying it just seemed like he was just hitting the hitting that Howard Stark beat a little bit too hard. Yeah, and and it was enough that it was it yeah. was slightly distracting. Yeah, a little little too much. I wouldn't disagree with you, but we kind of get filled in on as to what's going on. Obviously, Stark, you uh, proclaims his innocence. Peggy believes him. He has to. He's going to Europe to check up on a lead. You know, because he feels like it was a lady he was involved with at one point that stole the information from him, which is this this compound he's he's created that's being turned into a weapon. I the one thing I appreciate with with Carter and Howard is uh, it could easily turn into, and we know it didn't end up that way. Uh, their their relationship seems very platonic. Yeah, um, and he I called I her like pal, that. right? Exactly. Called, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and he gave her a hug at the you know before he took off, not a kiss. So, um, I, I think it's just fitting. I think I think you know Howard is Howard, uh, you know, very playboy, almost James Bondish. Not with her, but not with her. Yeah, I mean, he has some respect for her, and I think he he knows and knew what Steve meant to her, and for him to try and. You know, take advantage of that or Fond- whatever. Fondue is just cheese and bread, my friend. Yes. <laughs> yes. So anyway, so Peggy uh, obviously goes back to work that the next day and cleverly finds a way to figure out who the target is and, and who's trying to fence this this stolen material. Uh, and I thought, again, that was pretty that was a pretty clever scene where she sneaks her way into the to the meeting, looks at the documents while she's pouring coffee, and then. Uh, feigns some feminine issues uh, to take a day off, which was really funny how they reacted. Given the time period and everything else, it, just, it made sense, but uh, but still pretty funny. I just want somebody to say the word, use the word dames. I just want to hear the dames. Eh, dames. <laughs> Broads. <Yeah. laughs> Probably not hear that one, but, but maybe dames. That would be funny. Look um, at the gams on that dame. Yeah. They used that in Eureka when they went to the 40s. That was funny. It's something like something Frank would say. Yeah, Baltard <laughs> used that line. Frank. Frank. <laughs> Look at the gams on that dame. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> so what did you guys think of blonde Peggy Carter as opposed to brunette Peggy Carter? You know, thinking back over my... My, uh... 45 years on this planet I would if I had to peg my no pun intended <laughs> if I had to uh, peg myself as either a blonde guy or a brunette guy I'd have to say a brunette guy but the occasional blonde bombshell does it for me as well and uh, she looked pretty nice and especially with that American accent it worked for me yeah yeah she could fill a dress out nicely I'll say that 
She knows how to work a room, though. I mean, yes, I, she she played that room. You know, this, uh, this, uh, the thing with the camera. I mean, yes, I saw that. Was, I knew that was going to come back to. Of to course, work. yeah. When she de- deliberately turned yeah. away from that camera, she's smart. The best, yeah, the best was the dance though when she uh, had had him dip do a dip. Yes, just, to, just it's like it's like okay, he's scanning the room and dip. Yep, yes, Mr. dip me, huh? What? Uh, and Spider Raymond. Uh, hmm. Hold up, hold up. Um, I just wanted to say what I was thinking. Um, really, during any of her action scenes, is I would love not that it can happen because they're two different time periods, but she would pair up nicely with uh, Widow, Black Widow. You know, oh yeah, same kind of stuff. Like like that's that was definitely uh, reminded me a lot of that. Yeah, Agent Carter, uh, Black Widow, and Melinda May. There's a team I would want to mess with. And throw in uh, her great grandniece or whatever, Sharon. Uh, oh yeah, for good measure. There you go. Well, now you know where Sharon gets it. Yes, but I, I thought it was funny when she. Uh, so the the guy that plays Spider Raymond, I don't know if you guys ever watched that show, The Wire, um, but the the guy that plays Spider Raymond was a character named Bubsy on uh, Andre Roy the, was the actor. See, like the club owner that sat upstairs. Yeah, yeah, he was Bubs on uh, on The Wire. How come she a, didn't knock herself unconscious with that stuff? Because uh, her other lipstick she had on over it was uh, a yes. shield of protecting it. You just had to work shield in there, didn't you? I actually didn't even intend to. <laughs> but I love when she, I love the safe cracking bit. You know, she has a little watch, puts that little gadget on there, and it just, yeah, that was it just cracked a safe. That was pretty cool. Uh, and then she opens the the safe. And the other the other Twitter thing I, I thought was hilarious <laughs> was somebody tweeted out that we finally know what was in the briefcase from Pulp Fiction. That's right. <laughs> that was good. So that was pretty funny, but uh, but I loved it. She went, "Crikey, O'Reilly!" and then just <laughs> freaked out on that. Yeah, I was uh, saying that all. I watched it when I got home from work last night at eleven thirty. I um, cracked open the, the DVR and watched it, and um, I was just giggling to myself, saying, "Crikey, O'Reilly!" all night. I think I went funny. to bed saying, "Crikey, O'Reilly!" Because <laughs> you never. She's always so composed, you know. You, you never. She's she's never caught off guard, or if she is, she doesn't react. You know, she's right. straight laced professional, and that just came out of nowhere. She's like, I mean, it's the equivalent of you know of one of us going holy, <laughs> just at it, just out of nowhere. You know, it was neat to see her react. Like she's human too. You know, she's not she's not like impervious to everything. Right. Right. So obviously she gets a hold of the material. I thought the part where she takes it back home, talks to Jarvis, and he tells her how to deactivate it by basically pulling a bunch of chemicals together. I, th- I thought it was a kind of a cool effect. The other thing I noticed was whenever, whenever that, uh, whenever they were around that material, we kind of got that weird like hum, almost kind of like the almost like the tesseract, you know, where you got this weird kind of hummy glow. Part of this was like a. Uh, Stark doing Tesseract research and and you know this yeah, is part of it or that's what I thought it was going to be but I was impressed that they they worked it in as being part of Vita Ray research that was cool that they brought that back in yeah and the fact that he kind of made a point of saying that they use Vita Rays and uh, Anton Vanko who we 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 finally meet Anton Vanko is that um is yes. that supposed to be the old man that's yeah, Ivan um, Vanko I guess I guess 
No, it's Anton. No, this is Anton. Yes. Ivan was the son, yeah. But yes. this is the same Anton Vanko who died at the beginning of Iron Man 2. Okay, yes. then why was he speaking English? He, he, knew, he knows English. He was working with Howard. He was working with Howard. That was the that whole was, bit. Yeah. But he didn't sound... He didn't have an accent, did he? Yeah. yeah sure he did. did. Yeah. I mean, it, was, it may... It was, he was speaking very good English. So good that I didn't detect an accent. I thought there was an accent. Okay. was there was yeah there was an accent there. I'm not convinced it was Russian, but there was an accent there. Okay, well that I I like that. I mean I like that that's the same guy. We see these connections, and um, I just didn't notice the accent, but that that's very cool. Yeah, the actor that plays him is is named Lev Gorn, and he's actually Russian. I mean he's from the USSR. Um, he's he's on the Americans and plays a Russian on on the Americans. Uh, so it's kind of funny to see him playing Ivan Vanko on on this show as well. Um, but yeah, then we find that Peggy goes back to the SSR. She uh, has the uh, the Vita Raid detector. She goes in the you know in Steve's file um, and pulls out the picture and uh, pulls out the Vita Raid detector. And then she has the, I, I this scene really worked for me. And Brad, you talked about it earlier, but where she played the health inspector at the milk company. Yeah, yeah. Um, just she pulled that off very well. I mean, just from an acting perspective, I thought the writing was really good uh, on it. And she just was kind of wandering around everywhere looking for this milk truck uh, that that would have Vita Ray residue on it to, to figure out what's going on. Um, we find out that Roxxon is involved, the Roxxon Oil Company. So even back in the 40s, Roxxon was was a plague on the on the Marvel Universe, as we saw um in Iron Man 3, that was the first appearance, the real appearance of Roxxon. I think we saw some billboards or something prior to that, but so that that was cool. Uh, then we see the magic typewriter. So there's this, the man, he's credited as like green suit. Uh, so he's this mysterious guy that's uh, trying to to, fig- to get a hold of all of this, uh, the material that, uh, that, that's been used as this weapon. Um, Did that magic typewriter bother you? It no, I thought me. it was. No, it, well, it we've seen it before. It, well, we've seen it before, but we saw this something is, like it. Yeah, this I mean, is. A, sh- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we saw it in, in Fringe, obviously. Yeah. but this is a, this is a little more practical than uh, than mystical, I guess you would say. I mean, yeah, it was kind of cool that he, he but took it didn't razor. It didn't come it across as, to me as an original idea. No, th- because I'd not. seen it in Fringe. Well, I mean, Fringe was just a. Ri- not a regular a regular typewriter, but it was had this connection to the other other dimension, other other you know, universe, the parallel parallel universe. Yeah, I know that, this, but this, you this, still this, see, it still appeared to be doing the same thing that the fringe one was. You yeah, type something, it, you sit back, it magically types a response. Yeah, it wasn't magic though. I mean, it was in, in line with all the other te- technology I'll call technology that we that we've seen that come out of this era, like stuff we've seen in Agents of Shield from uh, from uh, Trip's uh, grandfather's stash, the stuff Peggy's already had. You had all these. Seemingly household appliance, uh, uh, you know, normal things that he made a show of putting together to assemble this transmitter receiver um, to translate the signal into this basically a fancy uh, uh, like Morse code machine. machine. Yeah, it's Morse like code machine. machine. Yeah, I mean, it, it was able to translate. Now, taking a regular manual typewriter and having suddenly the keys go up by themselves, okay, that might have been a stretch, but hey, it's part of the part of the deal. But you know, it certainly had technological technological base that yeah, we've seen a typewriter types by itself before. But this, the way it was done, fits right in with the technology of of uh, the SSR and of this part of the MCU. We find out. Uh, so, d- I, I one of the things I have in my notes is you know the the struggle with Jarvis where he's got to keep up a semblance of a home life as well as as do all this crazy stuff for Stark. 
Do you think there's something up with the wife, or do you think that that that's just kind of on the up and up at this point? That he truly does have a wife, and he's trying to lead this double double life, basically. Um, or do you think there's some there's something some revelation that's going to come up with with whoever it is that's his wife? I think it's the up and up. It's just it's his wife, and that's the end of it. And he's just trying to juggle everything else and serve Stark and do this other world thing. Gotcha. So we find out from Leet, uh, Leet Barnes, Leet Leet Brannis, who. Brannis. Uh, uh, so I actually did some research. Leet Brannis is an actual character in the Marvel universe. He uh, appeared in one comic in the '40s, uh, All Winners Number Four, which was a kind of a. Uh, like an Invaders style comic, it had Cap, uh, Bucky, Toro, the human, the original Human Torch, uh, that kind of thing. Tell me he was mute. Uh, it did not say that. I didn't. I didn't see that. But he was like some kind of low level mob boss. Okay. Uh, that was that was trying to that was a nemesis of the Wizard or was doing the something wizard. with the Wizard. <laughs> the Wizard. Yeah. I haven't heard of that one in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So he's not. He's not a made up. Hang on, guys. I'll be back in a minute. I was just being silly. I thought maybe you'd say why. No, I have to take a leak. That name. Maybe. Oh, hey, hey. It's the medicine. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how we the, we end the the first episode. Oh, we the, the way the episode ends is uh, Peggy's back in the diner, and there's well, a guy that's being extremely rude to Angie, um, slaps yeah. her on the butt, and that just sets Peggy off. And she takes a fork, um, holds it against his brachial artery, and basically tells him that he needs to leave, never come back, and leave a large tip. Um, and I th- again, I thought that was really well played. Do you guys uh, recognize I, that actor? No, I I couldn't place him, but I thought he looked familiar. Um, the first time I ever saw him, and I don't know his name, uh, was actually I had forgotten that I had seen him in that. And then, but the one that I remember him from seeing first was a. Uh, he was the bus driver in the movie Sky High about the superheroes. Oh, um, oh yeah. The children of superheroes. Sure. Uh, they went to school in the sky at Sky High. Linda Carter was the principal. Yep. Yes. Um, but anyway, he was uh, he was in that. And, and then uh, it turns out he was in that Broken Lizard comedy group. Uh, you remember Super Troopers? Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember. There was another. Club Dread. Uh, now, was Club, he that guy or was he the Club guy that she, he was, that she he was, tied up to the chair? No, he was the guy in the diner. Okay, all right. And he's the guy in the diner, and he was, um, he's in that comedy troupe, that Broken Lizard comedy troupe. He was gotcha. in Super Troopers, but, uh, anyway, I, like Russ, I like to connect the dots when I can with familiar faces. It's all connected. It is. So the second episode starts up, and I thought this was funny. It's the whole radio play thing, uh, that, that travels. This one, I think it was a little more prevalent than it was in the previous episode. Uh, but the fact that Roxxon Oil Company sponsors the Captain America radio show, I thought was was kind of funny. Actually, I don't remember. Was I don't think it was in the the pilot. It was the first episode. I think it was only in the second part of it, the second um, hour. Was it? Oh, maybe you're right. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 kind of glossed over it a little bit in the first episode, but uh, but Peggy's roommate, while she was trying to uh, deactivate the the item, uh, her roommate was shot in the head by the by the man in the green suit, thinking it was Peggy. Um, I, I have a note here that there was a lot of shooting of people in the head in this in the in these two episodes. This guy doesn't mess around; he he just takes you out. Yeah, yeah. The bit with the the milk inspector. 
oh, the the bit where one of the things I had in my notes too is is when uh she's she's having she's wanting to get inside Sousa's desk to grab the pictures because she's afraid that once they look at the pictures and see the woman in there that she might be identified. And so she has this bit where she pops her feet up on the desk and she's eating something and she's just kind of looking around. And then when everybody leaves, she, she kind of moves around and tries to get, right. get in his desk and has that, that skeleton key, which I thought was cool. But I don't know what it was, but the look on her face while she's just sitting in that desk with her feet propped up, chewing on whatever it was, it just, I, I was cracking up. Like, I don't know what it was. She just, it was just really well played, uh, uh, by her. I thought, I thought it was pretty well, well done. I thought the part, when he, when the guy answers the phone and he, he uh, looks behind him and she's not there and then and he turns is, around, yeah. boom, she pops up. Yes. That, the look on her face at that point was, was awesome too. You may have been referring to that specific part, but that's yes. when it, that's when it got me. Yeah. Uh, we forgot to mention too that, uh, in the previous episode, uh, they kind of traced everything back to this Roxxon oil, uh, refinery. Uh, one of those, uh, uh, Nitramine bombs went off and basically imploded the entire facility. Um, and Dooley charged Krasminski with taking it all back to SSR headquarters and pulling it apart for look for evidence. Um, which we find out at the end of this episode, they find uh, the bumper that was pulled yeah. off the car as it was getting away in the license plate, which I'm assuming they will... In episode three, they will connect to Howard Stark. Uh, well, yeah, I knew that was coming because they made a they made a big show of showing us the bumper get ripped off, and then again showing us the car without a bumper on it. It's like okay, right? And the bumper's going to show up, and then when the big ball of garbage showed up, like up oh, there's the bumper, right? So they kind of trace things down. They 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 end up going to the uh, to the Rocks on Oil facility where we find that Ray Wise is uh, the president of Rocks on Oil, which I I thought I always love Ray Wise. Now, did you catch his name? I mean, I wanted to Hugh was Jones, he, and is that a yes? A Roxxon Hugh Hugh Jones was one time president of Roxxon Oil in the Marvel comics. Now, what's with his uh, servant Butler or whatever he is? Is that also I, that I don't know. I didn't see anything on that at all. That that was a little weird. Um, but we but they basically show up at Roxxon thinking Roxxon's involved at some point. Uh, they start the the whole Vita Ray detector thing, and they come across Miles Van Ert, who is the guy that was uh, at the Roxxon Oil facility when the bomb went off. That Peggy used that cool blindy gadget on uh, to 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 kind of distract him uh, and get away. Um, and they 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 capture him, and I, I thought that was a cool bit where. He starts running down this long hall. She just casually walks down a flight of stairs and is able to take him out with a briefcase. Um, so, again, showing off how, how awesome she is and just kind of cool and collected. Uh, what did you guys think of the interrogation scene with Thompson and Van Ert? I thought it was a little... I don't know. There's something about that that didn't sit right with me. Like, that, that whole sequence just... Like, it seemed a little too... Like, the episode... The show itself doesn't seem to have a very dark tone. It seems to be somewhat lighthearted, um, kind of like a you know James, a lighthearted James Bond kind of approach to this show. And then you have this weird scene where the guy's just like getting pummeled by the world. Yeah. What was the deal with the carrot? The carrot and the stick. Carrot and the stick. Was that a saying I should know? Yeah. Yeah, you know the the easy way or the hard way. Yeah. You know you. 
do you, do you want the carrot where you know you get to turn over the the someone else and in this case in this case it was give us a name and you walk or do you get well, wait a minute you're telling we... me the phrase the carrot and the stick is an actual phrase yes. yes I've never heard that in 45 years wow I mean I've heard the easy way or the hard way but I've never heard hey you want the carrot or the stick same never not way. once that's interesting well, that seems kind of silly to literally display the carrot and the stick on the table. <laughs> I I don't disagree. I thought the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, that whole sequence. I don't believe just... you. I think you guys are making that up. I'm going to Google that carrot Google and that. stick. All right, you do that. I don't believe you for a second. Get back to us. I think you're totally making it up. <laughs> they, uh, we, we we wouldn't do anything to uh, to mess with you at all, Brad. No, never. Uh, but, yeah, I I don't know. There's just something about that whole sequence that just uh, didn't sit right with me. I, I think in that universe we've seen interrogation scenes done much better. I thought the Phillips and um, um, and Zola's yeah. you know, interrogation scene was, was done much better. This just seemed a little forced to me that this guy would just... Uh, you know, I could see maybe him popping him or, or, you know, smacking him over the head or something like that. But, I mean, he was beating the crap out of that guy. I mean, just I going was, to town. I mean, I didn't know that they were in a – had a had a, had a, a mirror or a window there that they could observe it. But I was really waiting to see that that agent reveal himself as being a compatriot of in, in the in the organization. Yeah. That's, I, I, and then I was kind of surprised when he started beating him. I was like, whoa, I was the same way, but. Apparently really that's been a phrase since December of 1948. Yeah, there you go. Since 48, so really they they shouldn't have had the carrot or the stick on the table well, in 1946. So, well, maybe. Well, right here in Google it says uh, the earliest true. citation of this expression recorded by the supplement in uh, italics to the Oxford English Dictionary is to the Economist magazine in the December 11, 1948 issue. You know how many times have we all said? different things and we don't actually see it in print or see it you know how many times did you say yolo russell before you ever literally saw well, that, it spelled that's out true. somewhere i mean if a if word I, has to be in use for five years before i'll go in the dictionary so can remember was, when he wouldn't stop using that phrase yolo and all our email I, threads yeah how about oh, that so if horrible. i said yolo that would be just now the first time i ever said that word. <laughs> witnessed it here but they basically don't get anything out of them um, this guy they're, they're interrogating. But in the end, I mean, they're able to trace things down. Um, they, they find, they basically find the, the, the driver of this milk, uh, truck that, that's gone missing and use that to get some information out of them. They find Lee Bran, um, uh, they, they find Lee Branis. I don't know why it was before I looked this up and found he was an actual Marvel character. I thought that that name kept coming up. I wanted. I thought it was maybe an anagram for something. Yeah. Like, like I'm trying to think, like, what could that be? But no, it just turns out that that's the dude's name, Lee Brannis. So they end up having this ridiculous fight on top of the truck, which I thought that was a little, yeah. a little much. I mean, well, before I, we, before you go further, back when during the typewriter episode, we didn't really talk about the, what they were saying on the typewriter because for the most part, it was uh, wasn't a big deal. But remember. It sounds like this Lee Brannis and the green suit guy, they originally were partners or otherwise worked for the same organization, and then Lee on his own left right. and is trying to, to break out, so now they're trying to, get, trying to get it back. So so that basically tells me, though, that Lee Brannis was selling the, the uh, nitrium, what was it? Nitrium? Uh, nitrium. 
nitrium, selling nitramine, it, nitramine, nitramine, sorry. nitramine, selling it to the fence to uh, who was then in turn going to sell it back to the green suited man. So right. what did, what what did we accomplish? But we haven't discussed the organization yet. But by now, in your discussion, it has been revealed. But you want to finish what you're doing before we talk about that? Yeah, I was. I mean, basically, just going to get to the end. They have this ridiculous fight on top of the truck. Um, Peggy gets the bright idea as one of those bottles. It becomes volatile. She under she knows what's going to happen. Um, she uh, takes a knife and stabs the guy's hand, the green, the the man, in the green suit, um, to the truck. They all jump off the truck, and of course, it goes into the water and completely um, sucks up and and implodes all the water and everything in this pond or lake or whatever it is. Uh, and and then we find Lee Brannis is there. And one of the things we didn't really talk about with Lee Brannis is he's a member of this organization and he has no vocal cord. Like, he, he cannot, his vocal cords have been cut out. And, and there's a weird scar that he has right, you know, where his voice box would be. And he speaks through one of those little... Um, that scar looks like the shuttle Tiderium. Yeah, yeah, upside down. <laughs> you know um, it's true. <laughs> people out, Some people out there are going, what does that mean? What does that mean? Star Wars reference. Um, but he holds this this uh, voice box or voice modulator up to him uh, to be able to speak. And of course, in the fall, it was broken, uh, and he can't speak. But the only thing he can do is scrawl, tr- start to scrawl something on the ground. So uh, the scrolls are in this now. Yes, scrolls, scrawl, scrawl. Um, but he he mentioned the the organization earlier as Leviathan and was very cryptic about it. It seemed very afraid of it, um, and it was a big deal. Now, uh, going back to the comics, uh, as we as we try and connect the pieces on It's All Connected, a lot of what we've seen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and now it appears in Agent Carter has been taken from Jonathan Hickman's comic Secret Warriors, and it's very influenced. Um, it's where Daisy Johnson showed up. A lot of the, the kind of rogue Nick Fury S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff happened in, in Secret Warriors, um, so now we're seeing that Leviathan, Leviathan was an organization that was created in Secret Warriors, and it was basically the Russian version of Hydra. Uh, so it was like a sect that split off from Hydra, uh, that used crazy brood and other alien technology to create these, 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 um, agents, soldiers, creatures, whatever you want to call them. And they kind of took advantage of a crazy turmoil period in the Marvel Universe where they attacked they started a three-way war between Shield, Hydra, and uh, Leviathan, and at that time, it was it was revealed that Hydra has been intertwined in Shield and everything from from the from the get-go. Um, I think even tied into Roxxon, uh, Hydra was at that time. Like it was basically tied into everything. So they mentioned Leviathan. So I, w- when he was drawing that pattern in the sand, did you guys think maybe he was going to draw the Hydra symbol? No, I, I don't know. No I was going to ask you if we, if, if we knew what that symbol was from the comics or not with Leviathan. It looked like it was incomplete. It looked like a heart with something across it, but who knows what it was. So I didn't know if he was basically trying to draw the Hydra symbol where it was like the head and then he was starting to draw the arms. Um, wow, yeah, it's possible. Um, and just couldn't finish it because whatever it was, it was obvious he, he, wasn't, he wasn't done with it. Like he, he, couldn't, he couldn't finish it. Uh, so I couldn't I couldn't tell if that's what it is, and I, I'm assuming that we'll get more of that as time goes on. We'll you know we'll find out a little bit more about Leviathan. 
Um, and so I'm curious to see if maybe that ends up being a plot point pulled forward into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at some point, if they kind of resolve this Hydra stuff. I'm looking for a Google image, and uh, I can't yeah, find one. I don't know. Uh, the one funny bit that we got to is during some of the fighting, they kind of uh, transposed that with the Captain America radio show. So it basically, as Cap was beating up the enemy, you could pretty much replace that with Peggy beating up the the milk truck driver guy. Um, so I thought that was just kind of funny. Just as an aside on those radio shows, as, as annoying as they were, and as, as annoyed as Peggy was by them, I was too. But I liked how they really showed us the sounds work that they do on a radio show with you yes. know, hitting the ham and you know, that was very neat. Cracking the the lobsters, all that fun stuff. That's I your, you'd enjoy that, yeah. Yeah, that's your, your modern deal. day foley artist. It is. Yeah. yeah, that's what they do nowadays. It's very cool, and that was Ralph Garman that played the uh, the narrator for the Captain America radio show. So if, if, I've heard his voice before, right? Yeah, he's he's a radio guy out in Los Angeles. He's also he does the um, Hollywood Babylon podcast with Kevin Smith, um, and he's been on movies and TV. He's he's been around a bit, but but most famously for being a, a radio morning radio guy in L.A. and um, and like I said on that Hollywood Babylon pod. pod uh, show with uh, Kevin Smith. Oh, I found the picture. It's a heart, and it just looks like a snake laying across it. And being that he already mentioned Leviathan, I, I didn't really take it as he was trying to draw that, because he, she, he'd already kind of spilled the beans on the whole Leviathan thing. Uh, so so who knows where where things will... Will end up. I thought it was funny that the in the Captain America serial, the the lady, the kind of damsel in distress, is name is Betty Carver, which I'm sure is meant to be a take on Peggy Carter. But yeah. uh, but I thought that was funny. Um, I, I like the live commercial they had to do too. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. So um, you know, we got two episodes on the first night. So as this episode of the podcast has gone a little long, I think it's just a little long because we're having to discuss two one-hour episodes instead of our usual one-hour uh, single episode. Um, but overall, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I watched it again uh, today um, bef- before we recorded, and it played better for me on the second time. And I think sometimes with initial viewing, you know, we're live tweeting, I'm taking notes, um, and I'm watching all at the same time. Uh, you know, sometimes I think that distracts from my viewing. Also, New show, first time seeing it, I think part of it, like my expectations and what I think the show should be kind of interferes with what it ends up being. Uh, so on the second viewing, I kind of just like turned my brain off a little bit and just kind of listened to it more than anything and uh, uh, and, and it worked better. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next week just mostly so I can uh, watch it more for what it is and less for what I wanted it to be because i was definitely distracted by that i was hoping for something for one thing got something else now that i know where what i'm getting i'm looking forward to seeing the rest of them in 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 the proper light so it looks Turns like ratings... life is a lot easier when you do, when you apply that to uh most things in it yeah I agree. yeah the ratings came in and they weren't they were a little better than an average shield episode uh like a 1.9 for premiere I think it's it's quite a bit softer than they would have hoped, uh, especially Gotham is pulling like 2.5. And um, while Gotham has improved, I, I think this is a better show than Gotham. Um, 
uh, for a lot of reasons. Not and like I said, not that I'm bashing Gotham. I, I think it's it's a show that's improved greatly, but um, but I think I think overall, Agents of Shield, Peggy Carter. I think it's better television in general. So I'd be curious to see how it does if if maybe word of mouth um, does better if the plus threes and plus sevens continue. Uh, so it's it's basically just kind of humming along at the Agents of Shield pace, which which is I guess to be expected. So what do you guys think of overall? Like out of five, would you would you what would you give kind of these episode these two episodes together? I'll give it a three and a half. Yeah, it's about where I'm at three and a half. Yeah, I I think I'm I'm there as well. It didn't. Uh, it didn't blow me away completely, but it but it was better than average. It's rare that the first one or two episodes of a of a show blows me away. It has happened, but it's rare. Yeah. And um, but I I definitely am not turned off by what I saw. I'm looking forward to the next episode. Yeah, just based on uh, some of the coming, you know, in the the episodes coming up. You know, it looks like we're gonna get some Holland Commandos. Uh, looks like the more of this intrigue with what Howard Stark is really up to is coming to the forefront. So it looks like we're going to get, um, it looks like it's going to pick up pace. And again, for, you know, we've got six, six more episodes of this show. It doesn't, it doesn't have the luxury to move slowly, which I think it will be in its benefit. Yeah. We've all seen shows, you know, try to drag something out to fill a season. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes it doesn't work very well. Right. But like you said, that's not going to be a problem here. Righto. So does anybody have anything else on uh, Agent Carter? Or do we want to get to uh, to the next big topic of discussion for, for this episode? I'm through with Agent Carter. Till next week. Yeah, I'm good. So we also got, as a part of the Agent Carter episode, uh, the premiere trailer for Ant-Man. Uh, and I will say right off, I, I've been very skeptical of this movie. Um, I've been concerned about, you know, whether it's going to work, if it's going to be able to differentiate itself enough from, you know, like Iron Man to, to, to be good. Um, you know, how some of these elements are going to play. And granted, we only got two minutes of the movie, but I was really impressed with the trailer overall. I, I, it, it, it's definitely like it exceeded my expectations. I, I kind of had a low, uh, a low level of expectation for this and so to see it i just it it had a really good look um and it had a really good tone to it i i i've heard a lot of people say that about ant-man that they're not sure the question and i honestly don't understand that i mean yes granted it's an un, not as a lesser known character even though it's one of the founding members of the avengers uh not the scott lang version but certainly hank pym uh in the comics but more than that Marvel has built up so much goodwill over the last six or seven years that I will give them the benefit of the doubt to show me anything they want, especially after what they gave us back in August. You know, they had me believing in uh, a talking raccoon and a walking tree. I can, I can, I'm in for anything until they show me something that goes horribly wrong. Uh, I am right there for whatever they want to, they want to show me. That's the way I felt about guardians. Also, I, was on one on record uh, saying that this movie would either propel Marvel movie franchise into the next, you know, phase, pardon the pun, or it would just literally kill it 
because it was going to suck so bad, and thank goodness I was very wrong. Um, but I am concerned about Ant-Man. I'm not sure. It certainly doesn't excite me, uh, the concept of, of the Ant-Man character itself. Um, I like Paul Rudd a lot, uh, and I, I do hope we get to see some of his, his comedy chops. I think we did at least a little bit in the trailer, you know, too late to change the name, you know, that kind of stuff, but, uh, I don't want it to, to overpower the comedy. I don't want it to overpower, you know, there's times in these movies when comedy's appropriate, and there's times when it's not, and we've seen that in virtually every Marvel movie that they're that they're put out. So I'm concerned mainly because I've always thought Ant Man was a boring character. I've never uh, cared what happened to him in the books. Um, and the other thing I'm very concerned about is Michael Douglas being in this movie because he plays the same character in each and every movie he's ever been in. Uh, that's my take on his acting. And, um, I think I'm just tired of it. So, again, I'll watch it. I'll be there. Uh, maybe not at midnight, but I'll be there the first day I can. Um, like Ken, I've got faith that Marvel's gonna surprise me because they, they did very much with Guardians. But uh, I'm not going to lie and say that I think it's going to be wonderful because I just can't say that right now. Because uh, the trailer seemed a bit small to me. And yes, I chose that <laughs> that word deliberate, deliberately. But um, I was not impressed by the trailer. But um, yeah. I wasn't, uh, wasn't turned off by the trailer. I mean, Evangeline Lilly's in this movie. I'll see it. You know, <laughs> Paul Rudd's in this movie. I'll see it. Michael Douglas is in this movie. Uh, the other two are in it, so I'll see it. Um, I want it to be good. I wanted Guardians to be good, even though I didn't think it was going to be. And, you know, got I got what I wanted. Yeah. And, and I'm really hoping that, that we'll get that out of this movie, too. If, if I have a concern about it, it's what is this character's place in the MCU going to be? Right. Um, I mean, originally the plan was uh, an Avengers movie caps is the capstone of a phase. So Avengers, uh, Marvel's The Avengers was the uh, uh, end of phase one. Originally, Age of Ultron would have been the end of phase two. But now since they've announced phase three, they basically said that Ant-Man, which comes out after Age of Ultron, Avengers Age of Ultron, will be the end, official end of phase two. And then there's no sign of Ant-Man in any of the, what, 10 movies, however many movies are in Phase 3. So so what is this character's place? It's almost like, not almost, it sounds like they basically got so far into it they kind of had to finish it. And I just want to finish it and get it done and then forget about it. That's my fear. That Now, I may be wrong and Ant-Man may show up in Civil War or in... Uh, uh, Infinity War one one and or two, you know, it's very possible, I suppose. Um, unlikely, I would think at this point, but we have to see what the movie is to see. That's now there is one surprise. There's been no indication of this in anything I've read. It's only my knowledge of the character. One thing I am hoping to see in the final final movie, like at the end, the climax surprise is: is he going to go big? Are we going to get Giant Man as well? Uh. 
No, that's that's a good point. That that's that's yeah, that's an inter- interesting point. Uh, yeah, I just I, I don't know. There's just the tone. I I think my reservations or what lowered my expectations about this was. I, I'm wondering from from a from the masses point of view, it's a char- it's another character in a suit, uh, with a helmet, and you know people in general. You know, or, or you know, unsophisticated comic fans, I guess you call it, or whatever. Uh, you know, normies, whatever you want to call them. Um, I was concerned that maybe they would just be like, "Oh, it just seems like a knockoff of Iron Man." Like that, that that would be the impression. Um, but I think you know, Ken, like you said, I think at this point, and we've said it before, the Marvel brand kind of transcends all that at this point. That you stamp that Marvel Studios brand on it, and people, I think people will will flock to it. Um, and I think guardians guardians was kind of a good example of that. Um, the other thing that, that worried me a little bit was, uh, Edgar Wright was involved with this for a very, very long time. It wasn't until kind of the 11th hour that he bowed out or, you know, Marvel, you know, the, the two of them, Marvel and Edgar came to an understanding that he would no longer be a part of this movie. Uh, and he's still, he's still credited as a writer and sure, producer. sure. But, um, it just last minute changes like that sometimes don't always work out so well. Um, yeah, they they came out on record on a couple of things. That one is that they agree they did it later than they should have. They they should have made the realization earlier. Sure, but they were trying to make it work. Um, again, I, it goes back to having the having the faith. They've built up so much. They Marvel have built up so much goodwill with their with their audience. We need to give them the benefit of the doubt that they know what I, they're doing and they made the right call. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and I agree, but. We're kind of a separate breed from just the normal, you know, everyday movie goer, and that that that's just that was my concern is just that oh, mentality. And I, I apply that stand, that's that statement to anybody, anyone who has enjoyed these Marvel movies has no, regardless of their enjoyment of the comics or not, um, can't disagree that yeah, you may not have liked all of the Marvel movies, but you cannot argue of their consistency, sure, in their quality and their production, and you know. Everybody has their favorites or ones they just flat out don't like, um, but they've been consistent in their quality. Right, and I—I I mean, I—I—I I, I love Shaun of the Dead. Uh, I think it's—it—it's—it's it, it's a classic for me. I—I uh, I enjoyed Hot Fuzz um, a little less so. End of the World. I—I I, I like Edgar Wright's films. I—I I just wonder if, given what Marvel has created as far as a brand, if. Edgar Wright really fit was the right fit for that. I think this project was originally slated before Marvel created their brand. Um, and just knowing how his process is, um, how long it takes him to get through a movie and how involved he is. I just, I just see a lot. I just saw a lot of clash there with him and Marvel. So for me, I think it's a good thing that they made a switch. I, I, I I think, I think in the end it's going to be a better product and a more consistent product with the with the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, and then seeing this trailer just completely reinforced that for me. I, I just, right. uh, you know, the tone I see in this, um, and and just, you know, everything with it. It just, I, I'm I'm impressed. I like the suit. I like the suit a lot. Um, it, it looks really really sharp. I mean the helmet, um, and just the color scheme and everything else in the layout. It 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 looks like it fits. Um, you know, it's very almost shield like, 
in its mm-hmm. in its look. One thing, uh, it looked like the shrinking effect looked cool. I liked how we kind of got the following. We we saw it very briefly, but just kind of the following of the camera angle uh, around him as as he shrunk down. I thought that was that was pretty cool. Um, the one thing I noticed, and I was a little worried about this, but this came off a, a ten times better than I thought it would, is the ant, the flying yeah. ant that he gets on. Um, I couldn't tell. I've, I've probably watched this trailer fifty times. Uh, and and I'm looking at stills and everything else. Do you think that's a real ant, or do you think it's mechanical? Because there's a couple times where I see it, and it almost looks mechanical. I assume this whole sequence was CGI, and there wasn't anything pra- anything practical in there at all. No, I mean, I mean, in the movie, is it supposed to be a real ant, or is it? Oh, oh okay. Is it? Supposed I would to be- assume it was supposed to be a real ant. Yeah, I think it's a real ant. Okay, because there's it's not a couple- like an ant cycle or something. Yeah, there's a couple times looking at it. It almost I couldn't tell if the if it if it was, you know, metallic like it wasn't a real ant, but made to look like a real ant. Um, well, Russell, you know you've never seen an ant that close up before. You are correct, sir. Uh, but that aside, that could have easily been something that came across really poorly, uh, and it and it looked really it looked really good. Again, again, Russ. At any moment, did you ever not believe that a raccoon was talking to you? Uh, no. Exactly. <laughs> just, just stop. Then just stop. They can make an ant fly. True. 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 <laughs> true. Um, looks like it takes place in San Francisco, which again yeah. makes sense because the, this appears to be, you know, technology based company. You know, they're doing crazy stuff. Uh, you know, it, it looks like they're kind of setting it in that world of the Silicon Valley. Uh, Have we? Have we heard mention of Hank Pym or Scott Lang in any of the other movies? No, no. but well, we, sort of. we almost did. Well, we we, we, we haven't heard we haven't, one no. of those names verbally spoken. No, we no. haven't. We, we haven't. have Stephen Strange and that kind of stuff. Yes. Did uh, my my butt is we were ahead. supposed to, was we were supposed to. Yes. In Thor when uh, after shield takes all their gear and they're just kind of talking um selvig says something like um a scientist uh friend of mine has dealings with these people let me reach out to the, reach out to him dr pym may have some answers for us or something like that so they did actually say no, dr pym they stopped it they they changed it they thought they had cuz they also in the same thing uh dropped banner's name and they didn't want to overload it they didn't say they didn't they didn't say banner's name they said there's two two phrases in that conversation. One was, "You don't know these people." Uh, a colleague of mine, or someone, there was a, a a brilliant scientist, pioneer in gamma radiation, started yeah. working with these people, and never heard from again. Then after that was, let me reach out to a colleague. He may have information. They were supposed to name drop Doctor Pym at that point, but they pulled that part out of it. Okay. I love the fact that you kind of alluded to it earlier, uh, Brad, with Paul Rudd that. The last thing we see out of this trailer is, is it too late to change the name? So yeah. to me, that was like spot on. It's like we realize that this is a ridiculous concept <laughs> and we're going to go head on with it. Like we're going to well, I think we're I think gonna, we're just going to hit it head on. And that's not the first time Marvel's done that. You know, no. they did that with the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer when John C. Riley goes, this might not be the best idea. Yeah. Yep. You know, I always took that as the same type of deal, like Marvel going, we understand we're we're asking you to. Uh, take a, a great leap of faith with this concept, but roll with us. Yep. And uh, 
Yep. I, I sure hope it works out the same way. I really do. Yep, yep. How cool would it be? I mean, we live in a wonderful time, but how cool would it be to, you know, be in a restaurant somewhere and you see this kid walk by with an Ant-Man t-shirt on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, who have you ever in your entire 40-something years on this planet thought, you know what? I bet one day we'll see a, a kid in an Ant-Man shirt walking around. No. Nope. People would have looked at you like you were crazy. What's what's odd is we're going to be coming up shortly on like 10 years of Marvel movies. Like once we get to Infinity War 1, Infinity War. Yeah, we'll be 18, like 2018. It, it's been 10 years. Which Iron Man is, was 2000. Well, we're we're kind of there now cuz when we think about when they started production and at least talking about this process. Yeah. I mean, I mean Iron Man was 2008 when it came out. They were at least 2006 if not even earlier. So we're we're on the edge of when the process started. Yeah. Certainly they were talking about it 10 years ago now. But it's crazy. I mean, to be able to look back and almost have an entire shelf of of movies in this connected universe is just yeah. it, it just in, 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 insane. Well, it's crazy. Just look at our at, you know, I put the I took a picture of my my DVDs, my Blu-rays and it's just crazy to see of how much of how many hours of content is out there now and how much more we're getting between Age of Shield, Agent Carter, Daredevil, all the Netflix stuff. I mean, it's oh it's crazy. Yep. John did something a while back and he posted uh like the, the time counts. Like we got hundred and twenty minutes in two thousand eight or uh, two hundred forty minutes in two thousand eight and now we're getting two thousand minutes in two thousand fifteen or whatever it was. It's like doubling every year. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah so Ant Man uh July 2015. I, I, I can't wait. It's just going to be one thing after another after another. Um, plenty of content for us on It's All Connected. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, so I, I know we're running long uh, this episode, but real quick, uh, we did have uh, some uh, Facebook comments, uh, an actual message that was sent to us uh, between now and the last episode uh, that I want to just read before we, we sign off. Uh, it's from Joseph. He says, Hola, gentlemen. I've been listening to your podcast since Marvel Day. Happened in October and have been downloading since then. I've listened to every show you all have done since the pilot of AOS to Russ showing his frustration. Uh, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, you son of a. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anywho, I thought I would ask you all, with the new Star Wars trailer that released a few weeks ago, would you like to see, well, here really, John Williams do the score to one of the upcoming Marvel movies. If so, which one? Keep up the good work. Looking forward to Guardians commentary track. Joe. No. I'm going to say no because I don't want... Chocolate in your peanut butter? Yeah, I don't want chocolate in my peanut butter. Unless it's a Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> you know, I... John Williams... John Williams is 50% of what Star Wars is. I mean, when you think about it, yes, exactly. if that music was not in that, in those, any of those movies, it would feel different. It would look the same, but it would feel different. So, John Williams belongs with Star Wars as far as genre, geeky type of things go. He's done other movie soundtracks, you know, for, Jaws and didn't he do Close Encounters as well? Yeah, Close Superman, Encounters, Superman, Jones, yeah. Jones, yeah. But I would want, I would want 
Marvel has done such a great job with the movie, uh, with the music in all their movies now. You know, it's different composers. It's it's, uh, but whoever's in charge of the music, you know, on a grand scale, they're doing a bang up job and let them do what they want to do. Don't don't make them put John Williams in just because he's John Williams. You know. Whoever it is has an ear for what the movie needs, and he he or she has done a perfect job. So, I'm kind of in the in the camp of no, keep him out. Not that he wouldn't do a good job, but I think it would be unnecessary because, and perhaps even a little distracting. For me personally, that's just me. I'm I'm in that camp too, Brad. I I agree with everything you just said. Kenneth, I I think it would be actually kind of cool to hear him on Infinity War. I I would not disagree with that. That would be neat. That would be neat. Interesting. Uh, okay, maybe just in one movie, sprinkle a little bit of <laughs> little sprinkle a little bit of chocolate sprinkles on my scoop of peanut butter, and then, but that's it. But that's it. But on the whole, no, I would say I would say no, not really. Yeah, it's not a that wouldn't be a bad thing if it happened. But if if I had to answer your question, which I'm, you know, trying to do, I would say no. He's he's good where he is. Marvel's good where they are. Excellent. Um, so does anybody have anything else, or can I close it out? Close them if you got them. Close them if you got them. Okay. So again, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, head on over to face our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash MCU podcast. There's all kinds of stuff we post up there all the time. Head to hhwlod.com. Uh, John has been posting up stuff uh, as as all of this information has been uh, uh, coming out fast and furious the last few days between Daredevil, Ant-Man, Agent Carter, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, you name it. Uh, we've been posting it up on the website as well as on the Facebook. Uh, follow us at Twitter at MCU underscore podcast or at HHWLOD underscore network. Um, check out our Patreon campaign. If you like what we do, uh, Want to give a little value for value on the show? Head over to patreon.com slash it's all connected um, and throw a few nickels our way per show. Um, it, it's just a great way to, to help us support the show. There's a lot of things that uh, we'd like to do and improve. Um, and if we had a little more support, we could definitely get to get to those things on our on our wish list uh, to make the show that much better. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you could do so at 972 972- Seven nine eight three eight three zero. That's the HHWLOD podcast network line, and just leave a message uh, saying it's for it's all connected. Um, and head over to iTunes. Um, even if you don't use iTunes uh, to listen to your podcast, uh, head over to iTunes and uh, look up it's all connected. Or even if you do use iTunes, and leave us an iTunes review. Uh, we have a couple digital codes for Guardians of the Galaxy uh, to give away. Uh, there's a couple other contests we're going to be running very shortly for some some cool giveaway stuff, um, but I, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna do some giveaway at least one giveaway of of a digital code for Guardians of the Galaxy to get you all tuned up and ready for uh, the commentary track that we will release at some point when we get a breather. Um, so head on over to, to iTunes uh, and leave us a review, and at some point we will have a drawing for all the entries that we get um, on iTunes reviews. Again that. 
helps elevate the show. It helps get us noticed, uh, spread the word, um, have your friends leave us a review. That would be fantastic. Um, so for Brad and for Ken, this is Russ, where hopefully Johnny M will be back next week. Uh, and you've been listening to It's All Connected. Good night.